Phil said earlier, and as Mike introduced to us last week, we're starting our season of going through the book of James, the letter of James, letter written to uh, early Christians, just to encourage them and to give them clarity and direction about a whole host of issues that we'll come to as we go through series. So if you'd like to uh, turn your Bibles or find on your devices or however you're reading the Bible, uh, the first chapter of the book of James, and we'll start in a moment. While you're doing that, let me just give you a very quick plug, if I can, for something called Hope is Here, which some of you may have seen. One of the really exciting things that is, has happened in recent months um, across churches, across Darlington, has been an increasing coming together. And uh, it was um, the, the kind of thing, for instance, that enabled us to do the drive-in church um, last uh, July, I think it was. And then also at Christmas, we had a carol service, didn't we, that was organized by this group of churches called One Voice Darlington. Um, and what they've asked us to do is participate in an initiative called Hope is Here. Um, those of you that do social media will have seen, possibly seen things on the website uh, on, on Facebook, rather, about it. Um, can I encourage you to check it out and to participate? Because what we're trying to do is get the message of hope, the message that hope is here this Easter time, to our friends, people in Darlington. Um, to those of you not on social media, and I understand there will be some who aren't, um, we'll be putting some information out this week to tell you a little bit more about that and help you to participate. But back to James and the letter. As Mike said last week in his introduction, uh, it was most likely a letter written by Jesus' brother. Jesus' stepbrother, of course, um, would have been the natural, uh, the natural son of Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born. And it's quite amazing to think that uh, this man probably started out not quite sure about his older brother, but eventually came to a point of not only believing in him, but also serving him, serving his purposes, believing that he had come from God, and even to the extent of calling him Lord and describing himself as a servant of Jesus. That by itself, folks, is just absolutely amazing. What he goes on to write in his letter um, contains some even more amazing stuff, and we're going to look at bits and pieces of that this morning. So we're in chapter 1, and I'm starting at verse 2, and let's read it together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, 
Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even as they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that we need to do so much more than just understand the words on the page. But Lord, we need to receive its truth in our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you will be speaking to each one of us as we go through this passage this morning. In Jesus' name. Now, I discovered this week what I think I noticed the last time uh, I preached from the letter of James, that you have to make some choices. It's one of those content-rich parts of the Bible, packed full of stuff. Um, I think I've probably got a material here for about four sermons, but don't worry, I'm not going to give you four sermons. I'm just going to give you the one. Um, but it's a little bit like, you know, when you go, when you've got to choose from a menu. Um, probably these days we're accustomed to choosing menus online, but some of you will remember what it's like to go to a restaurant and uh, you get the menu, you look at it, you think, oh, I like that, I like that, I like that. Man, I, I've got to make a choice here. So I'm going to concentrate really on the first couple of verses because that fits with the theme that I've been given. But you know what? If God speaks to you through some of the other verses in this, in this letter, that's, that's fine. That's great. But the title of today's talk is Joy in the Trials. And what a striking start to the letter. Bang, James is straight in with a soundbite to grab your attention. Consider it pure joy when you meet various trials. Come again? Let's read it from another version. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Now, what is James on here? I mean, hello. It's a shocking thing to say. But we need to unpack it a little bit so that we understand what God wants us to hear through this. And I promise you, even though we're going to be talking about trials, and we're going to be talking about some serious stuff, this will be encouraging and upbuilding. So please come with me. To start with, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word various trials. I guess after the year we've been through, most of us will have something fairly immediate that comes to mind. I mean, lockdown has been tough. Separation from friends and family has been tough. Talk to any parent who's been homeschooling. That's tough. Talk to anybody who works in the NHS or any of the supporting services. 
That's tough. It's been tough. Some of you will have experienced real loss in the last 12 months. Loss of people, friends maybe, relatives. Some of you may have experienced loss of livelihoods. Some of you may have experienced loss of confidence and a sense of well-being. There's been a lot of talk in the media, hasn't there, about mental health and so on, and rightly so. And all of those and many, many more things are caught up in what James is talking to us about here. Various trials, it's, it's quite a broad thing. And I was thinking that I was preparing that it really encompasses a number of things. To begin with, the trials of life can just be what life throws up, the kind of nitty-gritty of life. The sort of thing we all experience from time to time when, you know, when things go wrong. Um, have you ever had one of those days where just a succession of things don't go as you'd planned, as you'd hoped, um, and the, the temperature rises inside, yet yeah, your, your sense of rises. It's often the kind of thing that you see on a kind of comedy program, isn't it? The, the comedy writers, the script writers will put together a scenario where, I don't know, maybe a guy's supposed to be getting up, he's got an important day ahead, but hey, he's overslept, so he's already a bit annoyed when he gets up. Um, he goes to the wardrobe to find a shirt to put on, no shirts in the wardrobe, no clean clothes there. He stumbles and falls when he's going into the bathroom. Um, he's running down the stairs. He's already late. He sees his teenage daughter going out of the house on her way to school, and she calls, bye, Dad, have a good day. By the way, the cat's been sick behind the sofa. It needs clearing up. He finally manages to get into the car to go to work, drives down the road, turns right, and sees a big sign in front of him diversion. And there's a succession of things happening. You can sort of see the scene, can't you, that just go wrong, and life is just hitting the guy. Bang, 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 bang. Now, none of that in one sense is serious, but it's those kind of nitty-gritty trials of life that from time to time can get to us all. But of course, the trials of life can be much more serious than that. And the word that James uses can apply to all sorts of things that can go seriously wrong. Again, we've maybe had some of those in the last 12 months. But when you're faced with a crisis, when you're faced with something unpleasant happening to you, something tragic maybe even happening to you, you are hitting what James calls the trials. There's something else that this word can refer to. And that's a particular trial that as Christians we need to focus on sometimes. And that's what we would call temptation. In fact, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, it's actually using the same word in the original language that the Bible was written in as this word trial in the letter of James. And although we pray, Lord, lead us not into that, the reality is we do hit trials, we do hit temptations. We have to battle sometimes with our own sense of, you know, trying to live the right life, trying to live the good life, trying to live according to the things that God has commanded us to do. And sometimes that's a struggle for us. We can be tempted in all sorts of ways. 
And finally, the trials of life can refer to opposition. We can hit a trial which is to do with somebody else's dislike of our Christian faith. We can come into what you might call persecution or opposition. That can happen to us. Talking to a friend of mine recently online, um, and she was talking to me about her 11-year-old son who um, very cheerfully went on a call with his, some of his friends. They were talking, this was last, uh, last October, and they were talking about Halloween, and they were saying, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get some, some costumes on, and we're going to go Halloweening. Um, and uh, my friend was very proud to hear her son say, oh, in our family we don't do that because we love God and we don't believe that pleases God great thing for an 11-year-old to come out with to his mates. But of course, a few minutes later, she wasn't too surprised to find him running into her bedroom, floods of tears, because he got all the mouth back from his friends. Oh, you're stupid Christians, you don't want to do that. He was being bullied because he'd stood up for his faith. The trials of life. Now, we don't want to get overdramatic, Life also has many good moments, and God blesses and prospers in many ways. But we can positively say the Bible is realistic when it claims that trials are a major part of life, part of our discipleship. I'm assuming we don't really need convincing. But what is there in this passage from James that can help us? Now, here's a secret. If we can see things from God's perspective... These trials that we don't want, that we try to avoid, can be turned to our good. How? How can we make that happen? First of all, we need to be careful to, to read what James actually wrote and not what we think he's writing. What he says is, consider it all joy. Or in some versions it says, count it all joy. He's not saying it is all joy. He's not saying we should rejoice about our trials. He's not saying we should be, oh, yippee, it's trial time. Not like that at all. What he's saying is that we should find a way of rejoicing in the midst of our trials. We need to know that our trials are never sent to us directly from God. He does allow them to come our way, and we'll discover why that is as we go through this passage. And we need to trust his sovereign care over us as we go through the experiences of life. But it's fine to be realistic about things that happen to us and say, I didn't want that to happen, and I wish it hadn't done. But James is saying, find a way of counting it all joy. How do we do that? Well, the next thing we need to do, brothers and sisters, is we need to keep our eyes on the outcome. Do you know, even outside of the Bible, you sometimes hear people say, I'm glad for something that I went through. You know, even earthly wisdom will tell you, I didn't like it at the time, but I'm glad I went through that experience. Uh, it was actually an atheist called Nietzsche who first said the words, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. 
Sometimes even atheists can say something that has a germ of truth to it. You've probably heard people say things like that. But brothers and sisters, we have a much better reason than anybody else to think that the trials of life have a purpose. This is what James has said. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, we are going through a process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we want. That's what I want for me. It's not, I'm not there yet. I don't think you are either. But the trials of life, if we approach them the right way, will help us to get there. They are God's means of achieving that. The witness of Scripture is unanimous on this. This is not just in the, in, in the letter of James. Let me read you a few more. So this is from Paul from the book of Romans. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Or listen to the Apostle Peter in his first letter. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith may be tested. Your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes. And you may be found, your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. So we are in this change process, divinely managed and orchestrated. This is what the Apostle John said in his first letter. Dearly beloved brothers and sisters, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, or we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Paul knows it will come out well in the end. He wrote to the Philippians, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And in his second letter to Corinthians, Paul says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And we all, every one of us, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. And we are being transformed into the same image, his image, from one degree of glory into another. Now, I've read quite a few scriptures there, but I hope that helps you to see God's plan is not to keep us the same. Something Terry Virgo is very fond of saying is, God may love you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. And knowing that that intention is behind what we go through through life can be a great help to us, help us to win the day, But there's something else here that will help. Um, if we look at verse 5 of our passage, um, something else is on offer here that will help us get through the trials. If any of you lacks wisdom, James said, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. In, in another version it says, he gives generously without reproach. 
He's not going to come to you and, and say, oh, you asking me for wisdom again? No, he's not going to do that. He's going to give generously to all. So seek wisdom from God. Here's another key. Keep faith in God's good purposes. In verse 6, it says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I wonder if James, who, of course, was um, living next to the Sea of Galilee, um, I wonder if he'd been on Peter and John's boat and experienced the waves tossed by the wind. I wonder if he was having a flashback to those days when, as a fisherman, he would have known exactly what it was like. And he's saying, don't doubt. Believe steadfastly in the generosity and the wisdom of the Lord, because that will help you to ask in a steadfast way. Faith actually makes sense, brothers and sisters. And although we do doubt sometimes, it doesn't really make sense to doubt God, does it? There are many keys I could share with you. How do we find joy in the times of trials? Well, we've looked at some of them. I think one of the keys is you've got to keep going. You've got to persevere. It says this is all about producing perseverance. We have to persevere with what you might call the basics of the Christian life, don't we? You're going through trials, you sometimes don't want to pray. You're going through trials, the last thing you sometimes want to do is pick up that Bible. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we just simply have to persevere, grit our teeth, keep doing the things that we know we should be doing. Keep doing the things that we know will help us in the end. Keep worshipping. I know many people who, when times are hard, the one thing that keeps them going is worship. And, you know, these days we have so many resources at our disposal. You know, you can plug in somewhere and find some worship songs to listen to. Keep your eye on the Lord. Draw on your relationships with brothers and sisters in the faith. Find people who can help you. Find people who will pray with you and encourage you. Here's a key one. Draw on your memories. Think back to times when God has been good to you and you know, Lord, I'm not sure about this experience. I'm not sure about that experience. But I know that back then you were with me. Make those anchor points for your walk with God as you seek joy in the trials. Let's just think a little bit about how it works. Why? Why does God sometimes think, you know, the only way for me to change Steve Ward from one degree of glory into another is to take him through a time of trial? Well, I guess really it makes sense when you think about it because it's only when you go through a time of trial that you know how you're going to react to the time of trial. It's only when you go through it that you learn about yourself what it is that God wants to change. I wonder if you've ever played that, I suppose you call it a game, sometimes when you're just with a group of friends and somebody will say, well, 
So come on then, if your house was on fire, what would you, what would you save? What's the one item you would save if your house was on fire? And everybody tries to think, what's the most precious thing? And everybody tries to think, okay, what should I say? What's the right thing to say here? Oh, um, yeah, okay. But my guess is, uh, thankfully, I've never been through this. You really only know when it happens. Because that trial is testing something. Let me give you another example. When I was at school, um, before important exams like, uh, well, I'll call them GCSEs. It was actually something else in my day, but um, you've got to do some GCSEs, and you've got to do some GCSEs in the summer, but you actually go through a mock exam in something like the January. And the mock exams are there to kind of hold a mirror up to the student about what they're good at and what they're not good at. Now, exams are never fun. I never thought they were anyway. But actually, a mock exam is a great idea. And a good teacher will use a mock exam to help a student understand across the whole of a syllabus that they're going to be examined on what they're good at and what they still need to do some work on. And, and I mean, they, they, they work. I remember one particular one, I was doing German, um, and um, I, I, I took this mock exam in January um, and uh, thought I was going to be all right, you know, um, and then got the results back, 25%. What? That's not good. But when I went and chatted to the teacher, um, I was a bit cross. Um, said, come on, what, what, why did I get such a low mark? And he said, well, actually, there are some things you're quite good at. You do actually understand you're German. But your spelling is dreadful. And the problem is, you're okay at these bits, but this bit... Is going to, it's pulled your marks right down. Your spelling is atrocious. A-T-R-O-S-H-U-S, -S, atrocious. It wasn't funny when he said it, and it's not funny now really, but he was trying to make light of it, you know. But it was a help to me because I went back and I, you know, I, I didn't really want to flunk the exam, so I thought I'd better take this seriously. I went back and looked through some of my coursework. And he was absolutely right. I hadn't been careful about spelling. I just, you know, oh, well, whatever. I know the words, I know the vocab, just write them down. So I was able, between the January and the June, when I took the proper exam, to concentrate on that thing that was pulling my marks down. The test had done its work. The mock test had shown to me where I needed to lift my performance. Does that make sense? The trials of life... If we learn to cooperate with God as he takes us through them, can be like that. They can reveal to us things that we need to grow in. And that will help us because that way we are keeping our eyes on the outcome. I was able to pass my German exam. There's something much more important at stake this morning, brothers and sisters. I want us all to be ready for the tests that come our way, so that when we finally get to meet the Lord face to face, we've gone through the trials. We, as James says, we have persevered. 
we have endured. Because, and this is the great bit, verse 12. Let's jump to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Rejoicing in trials? Yep, we can do it if we keep our eye on the intent. And is it interesting there that he says, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I'm amazed how often when you start to study the scriptures, you come back to love. Love is the key. The crown of life is promised as a reward. Nothing wrong in looking forward to a reward. But what the Lord values above all else, what attracts the reward, is not the perseverance under trial. It's the love that fuels that perseverance. And we have an opportunity this morning, as we start to draw a close to this, to, to reflect on our love for God. How's your love for God this morning? I'm not asking you how you're feeling about God, because that can go up and down. I'm asking you, are you his heart and soul? I'm asking you, is your heart motivated by him? His love, his heart of compassion for you. Are you captivated by him today? Amazed at his beauty? In awe of his glory? Are you in that safe place of living under the shadow of his wing, but just conscious of his fatherly care over your life? The day will come for all of us, brothers and sisters, when we receive a crown. And we need to trust the Lord who takes us through the trials so that we can stand before him and receive that crown. What a day that will be. Whatever the trials of life that you're going through, keep that in view. As the old hymn says, this is our destiny. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before him, lost wonder, love, and praise. Let's pray to God.